Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. I'm excited for you all to listen to today's podcast. And today's podcast guest is Emily Tish Sussman, who formerly worked in politics and now is really showing us how she pivoted. She will explain on the podcast what really pivoting means for her. She had this very important political career, really inspiring background working in politics. And now she has a podcast called She Pivots, which is a Marie Claire podcast and really shows us how she was able to, let's say, pivot her entire career to having three children and three years and shows us that you might not be able to do it all. And that really is okay, but you can pivot to something that you also love. There's a lot that our Tata community will really learn from today's podcast, and she explains to us how it's okay to not have it all, and sometimes we think that we can, and as Emily talks about today, it's okay to not have it all, but you can have something else. And I'm excited for you all to listen to really hear what success means to her today and maybe what it might mean to all of you. I think having it all is an impossible myth that the generation above us had to create. Yeah. Like, I think, I, I, I don't blame them. I just think that our understanding is evolving. Like the working system, like the five day a week, 40 hour a week system was not created for people who are also caregivers. It just wasn't, it was created in a different time. And so we're working it out, we're figuring it out. Today's Tata's tip of the week is to practice pretend play. And a lot of times people think that pretend play is just playing doctor or feeding your child a fake piece of pizza. But really, practicing pretend play supports language development. And how does it do that? So there's a few goals that we really see through pretend play. Really understanding empathy, pretending that you are in someone else's shoes. And that really allows us to think like someone else would. It also supports language development as well as really developing social skills. So whether you are in a fake kitchen or pretending to feed a baby, washing a baby, this really allows the opportunity to be symbolic or using objects to represent other objects. For example, taking a baby doll and feeding it or giving it a bath. This allows children to really use language meaningfully. This also gives them the chance to expand on their vocabulary. And one of the ways that we can actually enable and teach pretend play is by being the role model or the model. You are the mom, you are the dad, you are the caretaker. Show your child how you're using a pretend doll and you are giving the doll a bath and then let your child give it a turn. So again, it's kind of showing that empathy, language development, but also you're doing turn taking as well and role play and trying to pretend to be somebody else, which develops empathy. Like I said, trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So you can encourage it by modeling, giving a doll a bath, feeding the doll, even playing pretend kitchen as well. I am very excited to welcome today's podcast guest, Emily Tish Sussman. And Emily is a podcast host, women's empowerment and family policy advocate, leading democratic political strategist, contributing editor to Marie Claire and mother of three. Emily is the host of an award-winning podcast, She Pivots, 
which features women, their stories, and how their pivot became success. Welcome, Emily. I'm very excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you too. We met through the talking class. Yes. The baby talking class. Exactly. So I love making that full tie-in, like the, the parenting to professional tie-in. Exactly. And you know what we do. You were in our Tata class this summer out east. And, you know, I worked with your daughter just with all of her family and her friends. And now we're kind of wanting to hear your background of just, okay, you're a mom and what else? And, you know, how you pivoted. So I'm excited for everyone to hear that. You really do come from this extremely impressive political career in Washington, D.C. with this fast-paced job as vice president of campaigns at the largest Democratic think tank in D.C., the Center for American Progress. And you've spoken so openly about how that was really your identity and just how people saw you and how you defined yourself. But now you've had three kids in three years, and really a lot has changed for you. So can you walk us through your experience and really what was your so-called pivot? I love that you're starting it with the place of having my three-year-old in your class. You're like, who is this bossy, talkative three-year-old <laughs> and where did she come from? Yeah. And now you'll know. <laughs> yes. And by the way, for our listeners, your daughter is absolutely adorable. But yes, yeah, she was mature. I told you before the podcast started, she really acted and acts about two years older than she is. So where does that come from? Tell us a little bit about where she gets that from. Yeah. Well, the feedback from her teachers is that she's, quote, confident. She's very <laughs> confident. So yep. <laughs> I like to say that my three-year-old is like kind of the worst of me. Like she's everything that is in, that is intense and bossy about me. Yep. But we like my that. Three-year-old. We're, we are yeah, happy. You know that. what? Exactly. I don't shy away from a bossy girl. I love exactly. it. You know, we, we just embody it. Exactly. So I I started my career in Washington about a decade and a half ago. Uh, I went to law school. I ended up working in federal policies of changing laws for the entire country as opposed to state by state as federal policy. I did that for I did that for a long time. I worked on the Obama campaign right after I graduated law school. And I moved right to Washington thinking like, we're going to change the world. This is how we're going to do it. I just had something in me that felt really fired up in a way that wasn't really, it wasn't like, super relatable to my peers in college. Like I was a little, I think, unappealing in where some did ways. You, I was always, where did you go to college? I went to Skidmore College in upstate New York. Got it. And, you know, it's an artsy place. And I was, like, I just wanted to talk about policy all the time. And I had so much intensity about me that I think that it just wasn't really, like I wasn't in the right, I wasn't in my right body. I wasn't in my right space. It had nothing to do with the peers and everything to do with me. Mm -hmm. But then once I worked on a campaign and once I went to law school, I was like, yeah, these are my people. This is what I meant to be doing. It's high paced. It's high intensity. We're changing the world. We're making a difference. Like I have found my place in the world. And that was the biggest driver for me for the next decade in Washington. Like first I worked on the Obama campaign, then I went in and out of policy and politics. And I know that if you don't work in it, those things sound exactly the same. Yep. But, but policy is when you're changing the laws and politics is when you're electing people. I worked in both. I went back and forth between mm -hmm. the two, which in some ways is common in politics. In some ways it's not. It's mm -hmm. actually a very different skill set. So I ended up creating this niche. I was really good at the function of figuring out how to structure a campaign and how to implement an issue campaign for an issue. That's how I ended up working up at working at a think tank that they had all of these healthcare, energy policy, climate policy, gun violence policy, all these policies they wanted to move forward. Mm -hmm. And I developed an expertise in how to structure the campaign to do that and how to execute the campaign. So the think tank created the job for me to bring me in. And I was like, this is my dream job. 
I get to work on tons of issues I care about, constantly changing. The news cycle is not even 24 hours. It's like an hour, you know? But I loved that. Like, I felt like we were really making a difference. And I wasn't a super policy nurse. You know, I never became like a super expert in one policy. So to be able to work across policies, it was always interesting. Like, it was changing all the time. And I got to work under the Obama administration. The White House would outsource campaigns for me to run for them. Wow. I defeated the NRA in, the, in their first defeat in over a decade. I was able to work on the DACA implementation. Like, I mean, the real, the big issue that I'd worked on when I first got to Washington is that I was the lead lobbyist on the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was the policy that kept LGBT members of the military serving at all. Now we have open service. We are fully integrated. None of the horrible, the horrible things that would happen happened. But so it was incredible to work on all of these different things. And I just really, it was my identity. Like mm -hmm. working at the think tank was being someone, being known as someone who worked hard and got things done was very much my identity. And if anybody wanted to talk to me in a way that didn't acknowledge that I was an incredibly hard worker, not because they were being disrespectful, just like maybe they were having a different conversation. Yeah. I would come in and be like, yeah, but I work really hard. Like that, it was like so forward for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk about anything else. I've never had an affinity for children. I've never felt a connection to them. I had no maternal instincts. I just didn't think about it. Like I just really did not think about what impact children would have in my life, or even if I had them, mm -hmm. if I would have them. I do think probably if I was about five or 10 years younger, I might have opted not to have children because I was so career focused. Right. I think that women who are a little younger than me see it as more of a choice. Right. It was a di maybe a different I, time. You know, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes when people are focusing on their career, then they're like, I'm not going to do it. But it depends on the yeah. age, everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's more mainstream in the conversation now. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's, look, that's a whole other podcast that we can get into. But yeah, obviously this was your identity, it seems as though. Like that was you. So when did the pivot happen? It happened. So I had my kids really quickly. Okay. In succession. I mean, even from the minute that I started. Like I got married and immediately got pregnant. And that meant that I could not go work on the presidential campaign with the running at that time, just 2016, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. That in itself was crushing to me. I also had three very sick pregnancies. Mm. So it wasn't like I was just sort of like bopping around my day. Like, oh, look at this little cute little bump. No, I was under my desk, lying on top of my shoe pile, trying not to puke, wow. basically all day, every day. Like, like more, morning sickness, please. I would have welcomed just mornings. Mine right. was all day, every day. So it really derailed even my productivity, which impacted the way I saw myself because mm -hmm. my entire identity was tied to my career. Yep. So I ended up having the first baby five days after the Democratic convention. So I went to the convention. I saw Hillary Clinton take the nomination. Five days later, I was on CNN. And then because I was a, comment, a political commentator at that time. And then at night, went into labor. Wow. So... Yeah, it was all like in there. You didn't stop. And we did not stop. So I was on maternity leave mm -hmm. until the day after the election. So the Monday after the election was my first day back at work. So I think everyone remembers where they were the Monday after the election. I worked at the think tank that was called the White House in Waiting. Everybody had a job going into the Clinton administration, the like, quote, Clinton administration. So everybody was just crying or not there. Like the whole, no one even had a job to do. Everyone was just a total mess. Wow. But it actually gave me an opportunity now in hindsight, because I had been at home. Like I hadn't been in the office the last three months. I came in with that new mom determination, like really trying to prove myself. So I ended up being able to being, a, I think, a little clearer headed and being able to lead our think tank's work 
around pushing back on the Trump administration with whatever policies they were coming out with. And that was fulfilling work. Mm -hmm. Like when I, you know, for your first job back from your maternity leave, like that felt good. Like it felt like we were doing something, but then got pregnant immediately after and pregnant again. So I'm yep. finally starting to get into the groove of it, pregnant again. And at the end of that maternity leave, when I had the second baby, it was not quite the middle of the Trump administration. I just can't, I can't go back. Like the pace was so intense mm-hmm. of my job and the content was depressing. Yeah. And we felt like we were doing something. But what had become clear, you know, about 18 months into the administration is that there was nothing that we could do that could change his, the change of policies that were coming out. And he would create a lot of new policies on Friday nights and Sundays because that's when they would give him access to his Twitter. I mean, any working parent can tell you, what if you have new things coming out Friday nights and Sundays? You have no child's care. Yep. The job fit for that point in my life was a disaster. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go back to the think app think tank after my second maternity leave. I started doing some political consulting around that time. I started a political podcast and then we're going into the 2020 presidential. All right. And I think I'm set to go pregnant again. No. I'm pregnant the third time, but I think this time, okay, I know how to do this. I'm going to be good. I had an interview with Hillary Clinton the Friday before the Iowa caucus that broke in the New York Times went viral, led the news cycle going into the Iowa caucus in 2020. And for me, this is a huge deal because I work at the intersection of politics and media and both are really about like what did you do in the last minute mm-hmm. right like if you're if you're not relevant you're dead so i'm thinking okay i did it i'm going into the presidential i'm relevant and then the world goes into a lockdown so i now have a two-year-old three-year-old and three-week-old oh. and my entire plan for being relevant and getting work and going back to work in the presidential is predicated on having child care mm-hmm and having an infrastructure, which disappeared. There was nothing for me to hang on to, like to feel like, okay, I'm working towards this. Okay, I'm focused on this. All I could do was try to take care of my three flipping out children and try to figure out my life as we were all trying to figure out our lives at that point. But it just made like everything that I kept trying to reimagine within my professional context and within my political context, you know, getting contracts, getting jobs, having information that it just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't be that person. And that was so unbelievably depressing to me because one, I liked it Two, I was good at it. Three, it was my whole identity. Like I wasn't trying to be a mom. I wasn't trying to be a full-time mom. I didn't even want to be a part-time mom in particular. I, I really wasn't very good with babies. I can recognize that now. I think I recognized that at the time, but I felt <laughs> like I was supposed to have been better. And do you find that you actually had children because other people expected it of you? Or were you just at that point saying, maybe I can do this all. Maybe I can do the career plus the family. Um, I think a little bit a little bit of it was an expectation, including my husband, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I honestly just didn't think about it that much. Like yeah. I think I thought, I'm this working badass. I work... I can outwork anybody in the room. How hard can it be to have kids? Yeah. Like I'll do it all at the same time. Of course I can do it. Like I have extra stamina. Well, it turns out I don't have that much stamina. <laughs> like I just really didn't think about it that much. Yeah. I was so focused on building my career that I just didn't think about the impact of having children. So being in that moment and feeling like, well, this is who I am now and this is what I do was so unbelievably depressing to me that I had no sense of identity. So I started thinking, oh my God, I need advice. And I need a very specific kind of advice. I need advice from women 
whose careers have changed, not because of a career decision they made, but because something personal, something external happened in their lives. Because if I looked at my career on paper, I was killing it. Like I should have been doing well. And it wasn't mistakes that I made in my career. It was, I guess we'll call it mistakes in my personal. And so I needed to know that not only was I going to be okay, I was going to be different and I was going to be better. Like I had to know there was something coming at the other end of this. And I thought, well, how do I get all these women to give me advice? I'll do what I know how to do. I'll make a podcast out of it. That was my pivot point. And now I have the show She Pivots where we do exactly this, where I know we'll talk more about it. Yep. Um, and I'm building a media company behind it. It's pretty impressive because if you go to most women out there and you say, I'm having a hard time with this, it's kind of looked down upon, right? You're frowned upon for maybe questioning children and to begin with, because that's not what we're supposed to question and maybe changing my career. And I still want that career. And I think a lot of people would probably judge you for that, even though it's really no reason to be judged. I'm very impressed personally that you found, I mean, just this opportunity to really talk to women who might agree with you or, you know, they might not agree with you, but also you're just really explaining yourself and saying, look, I'm not embarrassed to say that maybe these at the time may have been a mistake. I love my family, but this wasn't an easy decision for me to make. And it wasn't, it's still not easy. I think I'm only comfortable talking about it because now I have legitimate connections with each of my children, Yeah, but it really didn't happen until the youngest hit too. Like I just, I wasn't interested. I wasn't good with them. I had no patience. And that was really embarrassing mm -hmm. for me. It, I felt like a failure. Yeah. of a person, like not just as a mother, but I feel like a failure as a person, like what kind of person doesn't feel a connection to their own baby? But like, I truly wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. Now that I have a legitimate connection with each child, I feel more comfortable talking about it. Yep. Like looking back in hindsight, I think it would be a lot harder for me to talk about if I was still feeling it. And I really have an unbelievable amount of respect for the women who talk about it as they're going through it. Absolutely. And look, I can, can say this with a lot of confidence. I saw you last summer with your daughter. You were great. You have that maternal instinct. It might have just been in there that you had to find, or maybe you had to find your own version of what maternal instinct meant to you, but I thought you were great. So I want our audience to know that you are an amazing mother. So I know that obviously it might have been a little bit harder for you, but you are. And well, well, I think it is my own version. Well, yeah. thank you. But also like, I think it is my own version. Like I had to, I I was so overwhelmed by the idea of parenting that I just shut it out. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't read a book. I didn't follow an account. I didn't listen to a podcast. So, you know, whoever's listening to this, you guys are ahead of the game. <laughs> I was just sort of like blind, blind, hoping that, I don't know, it would come to me in some sort of divine intervention, right. which of course it never did. I wish I had sought out help earlier and yeah. advice because I think a lot of it was very dark and very painful to me. But I think that in hindsight or where I am now, is that I feel very confident in my parenting decisions because they're mine. Absolutely. And I want all of our listeners to hear that because always bringing it back to the Tata community. First of all, I love how you said they are your decisions, which I think, you know, is the most important part of all, but it's okay to not always be that confident in it and not always feel that great with your decisions and you can make mistakes and really just it's okay to not have it all, which really brings me back to our next question here. So just having it all, that's something that you really write about, you speak about openly on your podcast, She Pivots. And you know, does that exist? What to you, what is the balance? And for you, what does it mean to have it all? I think having it all is an impossible myth that the generation above us had to create. Yeah. Like, I think I, I, I don't blame them. I just think that our understanding is evolving. Like the working system, like the five day a week, 40 hour a week system was not created for people who are also caregivers. It just wasn't. It was created in a different time. And so we're working it out. We're figuring it out. And so I think that having it all was a myth that was created to make it possible for women to have full-time careers and not feel like we were taking away from their from their parenting or from their motherhood or you know partnership or whatever it was yeah. on the domestic side. 
I think it's created an unrealistic standard, like balancing. I think it's an unrealistic standard. I think what I think about now is that I'm changing my perspective. I'm changing my definition of success. And my definition of success keeps changing. And it's going to change by half-day segments, by one-day segments, by a week. Like my metric of success when I was in a professional political setting was, you know, one, changing laws. But then for me personally, it was title. It was compensation. It was management team, you know, like size. It was decision-making. Those were my metrics of success. Now, my metric of success is one, owning my own time, and two, doing something that I feel is meaningful. Like I'm putting out something meaningful into the world. If I can get those two things in, that is my metric of success right now. I mean, I was late to start this podcast and I look like sort of a mess. And that is because I was with my three-year-old this morning. I was an hour early to karate because I don't usually take her. I then gave her an entire bag of pretzels, which she walked on the way into school. (laughs) And I I brought her to school with no lunch, just an entire bag of pretzels. And I sent her in with a friend of mine who was walking her daughter in at the same time and said, I think I'm going to be late. Can you just take her? And she was like, not a problem, which by the way, also brings me to my real favorite topic is the sisterhood of mothers with young children. But you know, like this is the best I can do today. Yep. And so this is success today. Like I am appreciative that you were understanding that I was going to be a few minutes late and it looks like sort of a mess, (laughs) but I'm very appreciative that I could end up taking, I could have my three-year-old with me this morning and be able to take her to karate and be able to have her with me during my meeting and still be able to come and have this conversation with you. Like that is success for me today. Absolutely. And you know, I'm actually going to quote you on something you once said. So I've realized that trying to figure out how to quote unquote, have it all isn't the right conversation. It's about figuring out how to embrace the personal things that shape our careers, whether it's having a baby or discovering a new fulfilling hobby. So do you find that you have found success? And again, that can be you know, dropping off your three-year-old and making it in time for the podcast. Even if you were two minutes late, it's not a big deal. But do you find that you really have found that success today, whether it's through your podcast, your family? Well, I think I've defined a new version of success for me where I can hit success. I can hit metrics. I I am able to own my own time. And I do feel the conversations that I have through She Pivots and through conversations like this, I think are meaningful and I think are worthwhile. So from those metrics of success, Yes, I am defining it, I, but I'm never, I'm always pushing it har- farther. Yeah. I'm always pushing it a little bit harder. Presenting, like physically presenting every day in a way that looks very polished is, to be honest, not my highest priority. Like I'm, I'm sort of up and down on that one. Like if it's, if I'm speaking on stage, maybe I'll get it together. Right. As I'm putting out this show, I feel very passionately about the content. It's the content I wish I had and still need to hear. And I, I guess the questions that I legitimately need advice on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you get your idols to give you advice? You put them on a podcast. Everyone loves it, it turns out. Like that's working out and I'm booking guests that truly are my idols so that I've been dying to get advice from. That brings me to my next question. So you have interviewed leaders, influential women. I mean, look, I'm just going to list them. Vice President Kamala Harris, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Secretary Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams, Sophia Bush, one of my personal favorites, Lala Ken from Vanderpump Rules. I mean, the list can go on and on. So what have you really learned from all these 
different people, you know, what are the biggest lessons that you've really learned? And then can you take us into a little bit about your podcast? What is your goal with the podcast as well? Maybe I'll get to what I've learned from all of them yeah. through the goal of it. The goal is, so you, you've noticed it's a quite a varied list yep. of people. <laughs> you've gone from lot. vice presidents to Vanderpump roles. So, which by the way, I yeah. love, I, and everyone has a different story. We yeah. love a high love. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so the point of the show and why I call it She Pivots is that I want to be able to show that all of these things that we go through, like everybody goes through something that changes their perspective. Yeah. You go, whether it's something that happens in your business, whether it's your career, whether it's your life, sometimes it's having kids, but a lot of times it's not. Mm -hmm. But everybody goes through something that changes their perspective. And all of these stories of successes that we've heard, like the Forbes 50 list, the how I built this, right? Like, They've all gone through something and we've all figured out a way to paper over the personal parts of our career and the personal parts of our stories to have these like perfect career narratives, yep. but it's just not realistic. And I want to reframe, like, I feel like I've spent my life working on legislative change and changing on changing laws. And now I want to work on culture change and specifically the part of culture where we think of and talk how we talk about our careers. It's very tied in with like the LinkedIn, like put your motherhood on your resume that we learn from everything we go through. And it builds us into something better than we were before. Mm -hmm. And we don't always, we can't always recognize it when we're going through it. We often can't recognize it, but we can only become that successful person by having gone through something and then thinking about it as having built us up instead of tearing us down. So that's the commonality that I find. It's how I book the guests. And it's the commonality that I find through all the conversations conversations is that people know their story of success, but they don't know how they felt about it. And they don't know all these disparate pieces that they had to go through that at the time they felt like was derailing them. Like maybe they'd never find success or anything that looked like happiness yep. in that dark moment, but they could not have had that success that we see now had it not been for those moments. And then their perspective change. Yep. Absolutely. And I think, look, exactly what you just said, how do they feel about it? So are these, do these guest speakers feel comfortable enough to really explain to you how they felt about it and really be vulnerable and open with you? Well, I really try to have the conversations in person as much as possible. That yeah. does really help it. Absolutely. What I've actually found through the process of becoming an interviewer and becoming a podcast host is that you kind of have to give a little to get a little. Yep. Like if, if I want more, especially with higher profile people who are used to doing you know, used to like sticking to talking points and used to doing yeah, a lot of interviews. Yeah, like they don't give a lot that's new, but I, I am very proud of the fact that I have been able to break through, I think in pretty much every interview we've done and get something new and different that feels very vulnerable out of them. I was actually particularly proud of that in my interview with the vice president because that's a big knock that she gets, that she's not, doesn't give up a lot of vulnerability. And so I was very proud of the fact that we were able to get that in that conversation. But I do find that, a lot of the time when we, we can dig in and get vulnerability by me offering up where I have found a personal connection in my life and being vulnerable. Yeah. And then it kind of opens up the door to it. It's also meant that going through these conversations has been a, a pretty heavy emotional process for me that I'm, you know, asking women to go through the most pivotal and often hardest points in their lives. And I'm truly finding an emotional connection with each of them as we do it. And that's actually turned into a heavier process for me than I anticipated. I mean, I love it. I'm basically doing like open therapy with famous women. So that sounds great. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's therapy. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it really is. It's turned. I think it's given me new perspective. Like you know, when I get home and I'm with my kids again, because I have new things to think about and and to work into you know whatever our conversations are. Like my kids are getting a little older now, they're having deeper conversations, and so I can bring new and different perspective, like personal perspective, into it. But but it is. It has turned into sort of a, a heavier emotional journey for me than I was prepared for. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I I might not be as open with what I'm about to say, but I don't have kids yet. I personally think I'm an amazing aunt to my three nieces. I say that I have thousands of kids just because of the kids that I work with. But again, that hasn't happened just yet. And I know it will, but you know, I sit here interviewing people, whether they're like you who said, I didn't really expect to have it. And then you had this big pivot and then now you have it. Or people who said, you know, they were born to be moms, but I was the person growing up who was going to have the kids before anybody. I was, you know, I am the most maternal person, but that is part of this whole process. And I completely agree. You know, you're bringing out of people and you're really opening up to them and then allowing them to open up to you. And it's really this trusting relationship. Absolutely. Which, by the way, I have to say, I do see that with you and your daughter. Obviously, I've only met your daughter, but I do see that there's just this trust there. So maybe what you're doing is you're actually replicating your maternal instincts and you're doing it with your guest speakers. Oh, that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought about before. I mean, I love the idea that I'm, you know, being maternal to Hillary Clinton or <laughs> Vice <laughs> President <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I do feel like at the end of a lot of the episodes, our, the guests often get emotional mm-hmm. during the interview. Yep. And I hug them at the almost, <laughs> almost every interview. Yeah. And I've made a lot of friends through it, to be honest. Like we've gone through this like emotional process of of talking through these hard points in their lives together. And we do end up with a very deep connection. Absolutely. So, you know, something that you have mentioned just with other speakers is that you or other podcast guests is that you live and die by a set schedule and routine. And, you know, does that still exist for you today, even though obviously your career has taken this big pivot? And then would you really say, you know, what's the importance in that just for you with whether it's raising children or booking guests for each podcast? You know, what is the importance of really this routine and schedule for you? Well, I think it's probably more that it's my schedule in general, less of a set schedule because I can try to have my pillars of set schedule, like get my kids to school on time. And I don't think that's really going to happen. You know, like, <laughs> I think if I get there most of the time, part of what made the last couple of years really difficult for parents of young kids is also the, like, on the flip side, what made it bearable is the unpredictability of small children. Yep. Like, you can plan as much as you want, and you just never know when a meltdown is coming. And you just don't know how long it'll go for. And like, how to derail it. So I need to know in order for me to not have anxiety, but whether something is going to happen or getting set up, I need to know that it's scheduled out. Like I need to know that it's coming. So every morning I have everything in my calendar. Every morning, my assistant sends me an email that gets, that hits my inbox at 6am. She prepares it the night before that has my calendar for the day in it, any links that I might need and any outstanding questions that I have to answer that way. Mm -hmm. So that is the way that I've been able to get through this because 6 a.m. is when I have a clear head. Like that is before my kids start having me multitask. And that is when I can review my day, be mentally prepared for what may be coming and also know, you know, I shower in like two minutes between working out, giving my kids breakfast and then getting them out the door for school. If it's a hair wash day, I need to think about my morning very differently than (laughs) every other day because I only wash my hair approximately every two weeks. 
which I admire that. A, I am not like that. There's a time I admire it. Yep, absolutely. There's a time-saving hack for you is that I only wash my hair every two weeks. You heard it here. <laughs> that is how I save my time. But so, you know, I do think about like from the get, mm-hmm. like my day a little bit differently once I've reviewed my day and I know what's coming. Yep. So, so I really do – I live and die by my schedule. Okay. So I think that's actually a great tip for just our Tata community of like, look, you might have a schedule. You might not be able to stick to it, but just knowing it I think helps just your anxiety and just the stress for the day. And I'm a big to-do list person. So what would you say, you know, a lot of our Tata community, working moms, founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, stay-at-home moms, which is just as important, you know, what advice do you have for them? And again, it could just be – that there is no advice, but what would you say, you know, what's something that you wish someone had told you back when you were having your first child? Well, I don't know that there was anything anyone could have told me when I was having my first because I was in such shell shock. So I would say this is that, and this is what I'm constantly doing with myself to reevaluate because I I do have to continuously reevaluate is isolate. What are the things that you want? Is the thing that you want to be doing a certain type of work? Is it creating a product? Is it doing certain things with your kids. Like, is it cutting down a commute? Like, say, like isolate what you actually want mm-hmm. instead of jumping to, I'm going to change my career or I'm going to open an Etsy shop or I'm going to, you know, whatever. The, like, don't jump to the function right away. Isolate what it is that you're getting to. And then like the form around it will change. I would say both the flip side of what you want and what you're getting rid of. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you really want to get rid of? Like the things that I had to leave when I was leaving the think tank is that I couldn't manage a team within a large bureaucracy. The management up and down was bandwidth I didn't have because I couldn't think big picture. Mm -hmm. So that was what I had to let go of. That was a thing that I was trying to let go of. And so for a long time, I worked by myself because I felt like I had children in my house. So I didn't, I couldn't be managing it in a workplace anymore. And by the way, my team right now is not children. They're wonderful. (laughs) We love them. They're they're not listening to this, so so don't take offense. But, you know, figuring out what you want and what you're getting rid of, and then don't be attached to the form. The form will be, it's going to change. Like when I started this podcast, I started it in a totally different form. And it ended up having to evolve as I kept trying to figure out what am I spending my time on? And is that the thing I want to be spending my time on? And is that really putting out into the world what I want to be putting out and building what I want to be building? It wasn't in the original form that I had. So it had to change a couple of times. Once you've isolated what you want and what you want to get rid of, then I would look super realistically at your bandwidth right now and know that that is not your bandwidth forever, but be realistic about your bandwidth right now and be realistic about your financial obligations and your financial situation. Can you afford to drop your job full time? Do you need to start something as a side hustle while you keep the job going? Do you have a severance that you can work something out with? Like, Be very realistic. Like know that those two things, bandwidth and financials, will not be forever, but they might be right now. And so you have to be like, no one has the right answer, only you have the right answer, but be realistic about those things. And then you can map out a path, whatever the thing is that you want to change. I'm sure this is maybe um, had something to do with the title of your podcast, but you pivoted. Right. So whether you're pivoting in your so your personal life, your professional life, you know, things that you are attached to or things that you maybe want to get rid of, you're pivoting your mindset as well, which I think is one of the most important things for just all of our moms and just uh, working professionals who are listening to really listen to and 
really hear from what you have to say is just that change is okay. And maybe like changing your mind is okay. The podcast started as one direction and now it's in another. And I think pivoting is kind of the overall word of just your message here. Definitely. It's funny. I originally launched the show and the brand with just the word pivot. And it turns out that trademark is whole is held for podcasts by a major media conglomerate who promptly sent me a cease and desist order. So here I am. I'm, I'm nervous about the fact that I've launched my personal brand as something other than politics. And I also keep thinking to myself, will everyone in politics think that I'm a total mm-hmm. failure? I'm nervous and I'm excited and all of this. And I immediately get a cease and desist order and I have to rethink the entire thing. And so I was working with my trademark attorney trying to come to an agreement on what name and brand I could agree to that was not infringing the trademark of Pivot. And they just kept coming up with all these different options. And I was like, I got to no. say, I can't drop Pivot. It did, me, it did mean that I limited my brand to women by having achieved Pivots at the onset. We're going to introduce some men this season, but a very few. That was a factor that I was willing to take. So on that note, where can we find you? Where can everybody find the She Pivots pro- podcast and your social media? Tell us everything. So She Pivots the Podcast is everywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe. New episodes come in weekly on Wednesdays. I can't even remember who we have this week, but they've been great this season. We've had Vice President Harris, Lala Kent, an entrepreneur, Pinky Cole, um, and a woman named Susie Matthew who escaped from a cult. I just so we've had super. One. It was fabulous. Crazy story. Yeah. So we've had super interesting conversations and we have more to come. They drop weekly. Um, you can find us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast where we have lots of behind the scenes kind of content. Um, I've also been kind of personally bridging the divide for me between my political career and this new kind of mom's community that we're building on She Pivots, the podcast, or just women who are looking to change their lives, not necessarily moms, by trying to bring in some tips that I have about political engagement. So last week, I called my member of Congress asking for an assault weapons ban. I was actually in DC this weekend. So I went to my congressional, my congressman's office and lobbied for an assault weapons ban and taped it so we can, you know, we'll, we'll put that out on the reel so that people can see that it's easy and you can do it. And whether it's that issue or a different issue, but moms have a lot to say right now and we can, and the system is still not built for us. And so engaging will, will get us there. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to have you on this podcast. Obviously I started this podcast for moms and just working women in general, but you know, I really want people to go ahead and listen to your podcast because you, you don't just talk about politics. Yes. You might have the vice president on, but you're really talking about just everything and just your background and just how all these women, there is a story behind all of them. So I applaud you. I think your podcast is incredible and thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to visit Talking With Tata on Instagram and on Facebook.